Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. I want to say welcome those of you who are here with us in person or online. Uh, you know, we're kind of wrapping up a series that we did called You Drive Me Crazy, you know, dealing with the difficult people in our lives. We call them very draining people, you know, the emotional vampires, the energy leeches that are in our lives. We all, we all have them. But before we jump in, I want to make a kind of a special announcement to those of you who are partners or went through the partnership process here at City Alliance Church. Maybe you've been through the membership process, which is a little bit older, and that's this, is that we are doing our annual meeting on March 26th at 3 p.m. We're going to have a potluck right afterwards, so please put this on your calendars. You know, if you, need, if you write it on your hand, don't wash your hands ever until, you know, we get there. But we don't want you to miss this. And really, the annual meeting is when we kind of vote on our next group of leaders, elders, deacons, things like that. We celebrate all the things that God has done this past year, and there's lots of things that we can celebrate and, and give God praise for. And so we want to make sure that you can get there. If you are a partner, we're going to send you an email this week of additional information of things that you should become aware of, and you'll be getting that uh, earlier in the week. But, you know, we'll cover the main course if you want to bring, you know, different foods like that. That way we can kind of a, have a great meal for everybody. Now, if you're not a partner and you're like, Nathan, can I come to this? The answer is yes, you can absolutely come. You just can't vote. But you can come, you can observe, you can kind of see how does leadership work here at City Alliance Church. And then, of course, you can come and eat with us, which is always, you know, the highlight of the annual meeting, the food at the end. So I want to encourage you to guys to come out. It's March 26th. Put it in your calendar, uh, make sure that it's on there, and we'll kind of go into, um, you know, we'll kind of talk more about that and just kind of the things that are coming up at our church. Uh, Let's jump back in here. Last week I did a a message called Sandpaper People. How many of you guys still have that piece of sandpaper that I gave out last week? Awesome. How many of you, like, still have that person's initials? Have things gotten better or worse? In fact, don't answer that, right? (laughs) Sometimes it can be challenging with some of those folks. But, you know, when we talked about sandpaper people, we talked about the five different groups of sandpaper people, the people that kind of rub us the wrong way. We talked about difficult people, and these are people that are kind of rude, and we want to be rude right back to them. We talked about how do we be tactful but also truthful to some of those folks. We talked about demanding people that are in our lives. These are the people that are, like, always kind of pushy, maybe, like, you know, wanting to always get their way over our way, kind of roll over us us. Then we talked about disappointing people. These are the folks that doesn't matter what you do or how you do it or how, you know, how you kind of, you know, go, you know, go to extreme measures to please them. They're never happy. They, they're always looking, they always have something critical and something difficult to say. And then we talked about discontented people. These are the folks that seem to get offended easily. Like, it seems like they always have some sort of issue with what you say or, you know, they're offended easily. They got a, you know, thin skin. They're kind of whiny. And we talked about how do we kind of deal with those different groups of people. Now, whenever I, I, I do a series, you know, I'm looking at all these different kind of Bible passages and things like that. But I also like to read different books books, different authors, and there's a great book I want to recommend to you. It's called How to Have That Difficult Conversation. 
Gaining the Skills for Honest and Meaningful Communication. Uh, this is a great book if you're like looking at like, what are the skills I need to have those hard conversations with that first four groups of, group of people? Like, what are the things I need to say? How do I say it? How do I have a support group of support people around me that kind of help me when I have some of those difficult times? And I love the author. It's uh, two authors, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And they do a great job kind of bringing in scripture and theology and psychology and kind of bringing it all together in, in a way that really is impactful and really powerful. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and pick up this book if you've got some difficult people that you're trying to figure out how to have some hard conversations, honest conversations, but ho hopefully redemptive conversations in the end. But this book will not help you with the fifth group that we're going to talk about today, and that is destructive people. There are people in your lives that are actually destructive. They actually are looking to intentionally cause harm and hurt in your life. You know, uh, last year I read a book by Dr. Henry Cloud who was just talking about. It's a great book. Another book I want to recommend. It's called Necessary Endings. And in this book, he kind of talks about, you know, how do you normalize, you know, when, when one season ends and another one begins, how do you normalize endings in, in your life? And he's got a chapter in there that I thought was really helpful. It's actually the chapter that I would put, like, our five groups of sandpaper people in. So you've got your five groups. Now they're going to fit into these three buckets that we're going to talk about here. And so if you're, if you're taking notes, the first category is wise people. You can have sandpaper people in your life, but they can be wise people where you have that hard conversation they take the information in, and they make changes. They're like, you know what? You're right. I am kind of rude. I, I should be patient. I, I'm so sorry. And, and they make course corrections that way. But then you have a, another group of people, which is foolish people. These are people that maybe you've had that conversation over and over again, and there's no change. Maybe they feel bad. Maybe for whatever reason, they're not changing. And what Dr. Cloud says is with these folks, talking doesn't work. You actually need to have some limits, some consequences in their life. But then there's the third group of people, and he calls this group evil people. Now, Dr. Cloud is a Christian, and you can actually see these three groups of people all throughout the Bible. And, you know, another way to maybe talk about evil people is maybe toxic people or destructive people. Now, I just got to say that as a Christian, when I first saw this list, I had a really hard time with category number three. I have a really hard time thinking that there's actually people out there that are thinking about how that they can bring me down how they can ruin my reputation, how they can kind of destroy other people. Like, I had a really hard time thinking about there's actual people that are like this. But, you know, as I talked with many of you, and as I've even looked through my own life, my own experiences, I found that, yeah, there are actually are people who actually are trying to hurt you in different seasons of your life. And these are people that you need to block, unfriend, you know, uh, delete, you know, whatever it is, you need to kind of remove them from your life. Maybe it's a toxic coworker who is doing whatever they can to kind of bring you down. They, they talk behind your back. Uh, they, they, they make you look bad in front of your boss and other people. And it's a toxic situation. Or it could be an ex. You know, you want to raise your kids to love Jesus, but after the divorce, you know, you drop your kids off, and they just pretty much dismantle anything about faith. They speak ill of you in front of your kids and in front of other people, and, and, and you're just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm doing the right things, but it seems like it's having the wrong impact. Or it could be a spouse or, or, or a sibling. They keep gaslighting you. They keep lying to you about, about how they're going to change, but they don't change. They continue to hurt you. They continue to do damage. And, and you're, you're kind of stuck. You're going, what, what do I do? We've had conversations, but they're not changing, and I'm not sure what to do next. Now, I've got to say this about evil people, because I believe this. I believe in the power of the gospel. Amen? 
I believe that the gospel says that dead people can be made alive again spiritually. I believe that God can transform people, and I've seen it. It's, it's seen it in my own life. I've seen it in other people's life. I believe 100% that God can transform evil, toxic, and destructive people. But I think oftentimes as Christians, we think, you know, God's going to transform them, so I'm going to get really close to them. But really what God wants you to do is, no, no, I want you to love them from afar. I want you to pray for them from afar. Because I'm the one that does the transformational work. And so I want to see how do we deal with toxic people from the scriptures. And so there's a great passage that we find in 1 Samuel 18. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along on our sermon notes or on the screen here. But really, I want to look at a story of two kings. And, you know, this is a story that if you read the entire, you know, book of 1 Samuel, it's very much a Games of Thrones-esque kind of story. Like, literally, this should be on HBO Max. Your kids should not be allowed to watch it. But it's got drama. It's got intrigue. It's got violence. It's got all the stuff. I mean, this could be like, the, you know, the House of the Dragon season two. House of David, right? That would be, that'd be cool. But anyway, this is a story about two kings. The first king is named Saul. And Saul is kind of the king of Israel at the time. And, you know, what, what, here's kind of the story behind that before I kind of jump too far into this, is that God's people had said to God, God, we, we want a king like all the other nations. They were being discontented. They're like, God, every, all the other nations, they have a human king. They got a guy that we can look to, but, but we don't. We just have you, but we can't see you. And so, you know, Samuel, who's the prophet, who's God's mouthpiece, he's like, you know, the people are whack God. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And God just says, give them what they want. Give them what they want so they can experience the consequences of their actions. And so that's what happens, that Saul becomes the king. And, and when you see Saul, you're thinking, yeah, Saul looks like a king. He's tall, he's kind of strong, like he's, he's a guy, he's like, he's like George Clooney, like he should be like the king, right? So, so, so Saul becomes the king, but here's the problem, here's the problem. He's got major character flaws. He's dishonest, he disobeys God, he's a people pleaser, he does all sorts of damage to so many people. I mean, it really is a mess. And so at some point, God says, I have to reject Saul as king. Saul is not doing what he should be doing as ruler. So he rejects Saul and instead sends Samuel, who's the prophet, to go into a pasture and find a boy named David. And David is anointed king, which means that God chooses him. Now, David is like the youngest out of all, his, all of his siblings. He's kind of the runt of the litter. But, but here, God has chosen David to go from one day to the pasture all the way to the palace. And so at first, we're not really sure what's going on. David's kind of around in the scene. But David really proves himself during an, a fight with a giant named Goliath. And I know many of you know this story. You can read it in 1 Samuel 17, that there's this giant named Goliath who's basically telling the armies of Israel, guys, like, you know, send me a champion. I'm going to kill him off. And then, we'll, you know, you guys will be our slaves. And no one in Israel stepping up. So David's like, I'm going to step up. I'll take out the giant. He can't speak ill of God. And so what happens? David takes down the giant. He chops off his head. Again, this is, this is perfect for HBO Max, right? Goes out. And Saul sees that, and Saul goes, man, this guy, I, I want him on my staff. And so it says that Saul hires David, and he stays in Saul's household. And he kind of becomes a general. He kind of works his way up the ranks, becomes a general. But this is when things start to get kind of awkward. This is when things start to get a little toxic and eventually destructive. David just is, has been sent on a military campaign. Again, he's fighting the Philistines. And, and he comes back, and something starts to shift in the relationship. So let's go ahead and jump into verse 6. It says this, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. So I want you to imagine the Grand Slam parade. You know, that's kind of what's happening right now. Like, imagine the parade, like all of the, you know, all the folks are coming down the parade. So this is David and his army. They're coming down the street, and everyone's on both sides, and they're cheering, and they're like, yay, you know, we're number one. We're number one, right? That's what the Eagles fans should have been saying, right? But we didn't, right? Sorry, Eagles fans. So anyway, that's what's going on. There's a parade. You know, people are on both sides. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start singing. And this is what the song says. It goes, go to the next slide here. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So, so right now there's this chant that's breaking out. It's like, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can, right? And then the other cheer is, Saul's Okay. He's all right. But David, man, he's awesome. And, and Saul is hearing this. Literally, people are singing this in front of him. And here's what happens. Here's the response. Here's what it says. It says, this made Saul very... Go to the next slide here. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said. They, they credit David with 10,000 and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. And it says, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So imagine this scenario. Saul hires this guy. He's doing great. He's climbing up, up, up the ranks. And, and there's this battle that's going on. And all of a sudden, Saul realizes, man, the people really love David. In fact, they, they love him a lot. They like him way, way too much. And so it says that he keeps a jealous eye on him. You know, there's two emotions that we see in these couple verses. The first is anger, and the second is jealousy. If you know toxic people, it seems like they're always angry. Anger is like simmering beneath the surface, and they're always a little paranoid. They're always a little jealous. They're always asking questions because they want to know, how is this going to impact me? How is this going to make me look in front of people? They're always kind of looking at it from that perspective, and this behavior was getting destructive. Saul was kind of simmering in all this. Verse 10 says this, the very next day, go to the next slide, the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. So there's a lot going on in this verse right here. So what does it mean that a tormenting spirit from God came? Well, this is kind of a principle that we see throughout Scripture, is that God has kind of set a way for us to live. He's like, hey, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to order your life and order your world. And when you get out of that order, you actually open yourself up to influences that are dark, that are destructive, and that are toxic. And so at one point, Saul was walking in the way that God had called him to walk, but he turned away from it. And because he turned away from this, that's when this tormenting spirit came. Now, this really means that the consequences of Saul's actions were coming about. That God was allowing those things to happen naturally. And so naturally, Saul is experiencing this torment. And he's been experiencing this for a long time. But the only thing that's been able to take that torment away is David's harp playing. Not only is David a general, he is also a musician. And so David comes over, and he's playing the harp, and that's the only thing that's giving Saul any kind of remedy. You know, you know David's like playing, you know, playing some Adele, you know, just calming him down. Maybe a little, little Taylor Swift. Hey, it's me. I'm the problem. You know, something like that, right? And so all of this is not, you know, usually like, you know, Saul hears this, and, and it starts to calm and gives him peace, but it's doing the opposite. 
Because that jealousy and the anger, it's starting to spill over and starting to rage. And, you know, it says here that he's holding that spear. Let's see what happens next. It says this. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. You heard that term, man, we got to nail that guy to the wall. This is where it comes from. Literally, Saul took a spear and threw it at David. Not just once, but twice. It says this, that David escaped him twice. So, so imagine this scene with me. Imagine, you know, Saul is, is there and he's stewing. And he, this entire time he's standing with a spear. And he's getting angry and anger. The anger is growing. And, you know, David's there. And all of a sudden, Saul launches the spear and it gets stuck in the wall. Not once, but twice, which means that Saul had to come down, pull the spear out of the wall, and come after David with it again. I don't care how bad your day in the office is. When your boss starts chucking spears at you, that's a bad day. Not just once, but twice. And so that's the situation that David is experiencing. I don't know what, you know, if you've ever experienced that, but you know what's worse, I think, than toxic people? Toxic leaders. If you have a toxic person, you know, maybe they, they can hurt someone that you know or you, but a toxic leader influences lots of people. A toxic leader can poison a department. A, a toxic leader can hurt massive amounts of people, families. And sad to say, sometimes we find toxic leaders in churches. A friend of mine was kind of telling me her story that uh, she was in the midst of uh, going through a divorce with her ex-husband. And she said, Nathan, we were going to the church for counseling, and one of the things that I noticed was that the pastor and, and my ex-husband were really, really close. And, and my, you know, my ex, he was unfaithful, and he was you know, kind of abusive, but, but the pastor and the elders, they never seemed to listen to my side of things. In fact, they were always kind of trying to poke holes in it, and, they, and they, they made me like jump through all these hoops because I wanted to be faithful to Jesus. And I loved my church family, and I did everything they asked me to do, and I, and I did everything that they wanted me to do in the way they wanted me to do it. But at the end, they asked me to leave, and they let him stay. And then after that, I could never trust the church because it felt like, you know, I'm used to having spears come at me from work or from the world, but from God's people? from leaders that I looked up to and trusted? I don't know if I can ever get over that. And, and my friend's still struggling with that. And maybe some of you today, that's your story. You're ducking some spears from some toxic leaders. Maybe you're watching online right now because you're like, I don't know if I can come into a church building because that PTSD comes back up again, that trauma, I feel it in my body. I just want to say for those of you that are here today, even after what you've experienced, I just want to say thank you so much for trusting us. Thank you so much for taking a step of faith, for taking a risk. Uh, you know, we're not perfect as a church, but our heart is we want to honor God and honor people with everything we do and, and not have that destructive tendency at us. In fact, my hope, my prayer is that you can come here, that you can heal and experience restoration and peace and heal up from those kind of toxic situations. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the life of David, you know, you know this, that he eventually does become king, but a thousand years down the line, there's another king that comes from the line of David, and that is King Jesus. And we know that King Jesus, he also allowed himself 
to experience the results of toxicness in humanity. You know, as humans, we have this toxin in us called sin, and it separates us from God. It causes all sorts of chaos and evil in our world today. And Jesus came from God, who was sinless, who was perfect, and he said, I'll take your sin on. I'll take your toxicity on myself. I'll take your brokenness on me. And so he was crucified on a cross for your sins and my sins so that we could have access to eternal life. In fact, one of the things that, it writes, that the prophet Isaiah writes about Jesus is this. Is he says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, on the cross, Jesus was punctured by a spear from a Roman centurion to fulfill prophecy as a reminder that Jesus Christ died not just, you know, for, for good people, but for sinners, to turn sinners into saints, to transform evil, destructive people into God's people. A process that we can be involved in as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. And one of the things that happened at the cross was this, is that God was with us. When you come to a relationship with Jesus, here's the reality. We know that God is with us. In the deepest, darkest depths of our life, he promises to be with us. And that's why Saul was terrified of David. Verse 12 said that Saul was afraid because he saw that God was with David and not with him. He's terrified of that. And here's what's kind of interesting when you kind of look at that whole idea is that, you know, eventually Saul says, David, I am so sorry. I don't know what was going on. Like, I, you know, literally Saul is gaslighting David. Like, I, I would never do that to you again. A chapter later, we learn that Saul has been plotting behind David's back. And then what do we see happens next? Go to the next slide here. Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand. I don't know why this guy's standing around with spears. If I was David, I'd be like, bro, can you put the spear away? But here he is, standing with spear in hand. The tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. And then again, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Finally, David's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm out. I'm not dealing with this again. Can I ask a question? What do you do when spears are thrown at you? What do you do when someone at work says some things that are not true about you, and other people are listening to what they're saying, and they're believing them, and the rumors are going around. What do you do when someone posts something about you on social media, or they leave a comment that they're talking about you, but they don't say your name, so it's you know, not, not quite as bad, right? What do you do when those spears are coming at you, and those people are in your life? Well, I want to look at four skills that David develops that's going to help us when those people and those situations come, because if they haven't come at you now, they will come later. The first is this, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. You know what happens when a spear comes at you? You want to duck and then chuck, right? Duck and chuck. I'm going I'm to not get hit, and then I'm going to make sure that you take it right in the face, right? That's usually our response. If someone yells at us, well, I'm going to yell back at them. If someone talks behind my back, well, I'm going to talk behind their back. If someone posts something about me, well, I'm going to post something about them. Eye for an eye, right? Tit for tat. That's usually how we're kind of wired to deal with these situations. But yet, what we see here is there's a different way. Because here's the problem. If we deal with toxic people the same way they deal with us, their toxicity gets on us. We actually become the very thing that we despise, the very thing that we hate. 
There's an incredible author. His name is Gene Edwards, and he wrote a book called The Tale of Three Kings. If, if you're a leader, if you manage people, or you're in management, or you aspire to be a leader, this is a great book. And guys, it's like this, it's like this thin, and the font's like this big. So easy read. But there's a quote that he that has here that I thought was really powerful. He, said, he talks about this, about retaliation. He says, In performing the small feat of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. You will prove you are courageous. You stand for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and can't be pushed around. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove that you are also a candidate for kingship. And yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed, a king anointed with the spirit of Saul. You see, how you respond to toxic people will determine how, what kind of person you become. If you retaliate in the same way, you will become toxic and destructive. So the response that we have, we see this actually by the Apostle Paul. He says this in Romans 12. Beloved, go to the next slide here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, there's a part in here where it takes faith. We have to have faith to trust that God is going to make things right. That God is going to take what was broken, and when we choose not to retaliate, what we're saying is, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you that you are going to handle this well. And so we're saying, all right, God, I'm going to to put this down here. I'm going to drop my spear. I'm not going to throw it back because I know that you have got this. But just because we don't retaliate doesn't mean that we don't do anything. This is the second skill that David shows, which is this. Get out of the strike zone. Get out of the strike zone. In other words, don't get hit with the spears that are coming at you. You know, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, you know, says this, you know, you know, he says, when it comes to foolish people and evil people, talking doesn't work. Have you ever experienced that you have someone in your life and maybe they're a toxic person, you have that conversation, it doesn't change? They just keep gaslighting you, they keep lying to you, they say, I would never do that, but then they do the very opposite thing, they keep jabbing the spear into you over and over again? But the example that David gives us is he got out of there. Look what it says here. It says, leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. David didn't wait for Saul to go after him a fourth time. He got out of there. He wasn't going to let that spear land on him. And he left. He left that situation. In, in fact, David, we, we're going to see this a little bit later, he still loved Saul. He still cared for him. He just did it from a distance. And whenever we kind of keep a gap between people that are toxic, that are difficult, it's what we call a boundary. Maybe you know what a boundary line is at your, you know, at your house, right? You, you, you have your house, and your boundary line determines this is my property, and this is another person's property. Boundaries work the same way in our own lives. We're going to say, we're going to allow people to do this in our lives, but we're not going to allow them to do that. We're going to allow them to do this, which is healthy, but if it's unhealthy, we are going to set some boundaries to keep us safe from that. But here's the thing. With toxic people, talking does not work. Can you imagine David saying, you know, Saul, uh, you keep throwing spears at me. Maybe you should stop. Maybe put the spear down. We'll be okay. You can't talk to toxic people. You have to take action. You have to set boundaries. You have to set limits. I remember talking with a friend of mine, and, you know, she has this business. She's starting, but she was getting all these, like, crazy Facebook comments from these people that were trolling her. And at first, she's, like, interacting with them, like, saying, hey, like, you know, thanks for the feedback. I appreciate that. But, but after a while, she realized, oh, wait, they don't care about me trying to fix something or making things better. They're just trying to destroy my reputation, destroy my business. So she said, block and delete. 
Okay, if you clearly are just here to troll me, you're out. She set a clear boundary. I was talking to another friend of mine who had a very toxic coworker, like really was just kind of poisoning them, doing all sorts of just really awful things behind their back. And finally they said to their manager, listen, either they need to go or I need to go because I am not coming to work in a healthy space. And he eventually got transferred to another team, but he set a boundary. He's like, I can't, I can't work like this. And maybe you can't do that at work or something like that. Maybe you're in a difficult situation. But what are some boundaries that you can put even for yourself to keep you from that? Maybe with your ex, it's like, you know what? My ex can say whatever they want from me. They can, they can keep throwing those spears at me, but I'm not going to retaliate. In fact, I'm going to speak well of them in front of my kids. I'm going to speak well of them when I'm talking about them in public. I'm not afraid of doing that. But I think it's important to remember that David didn't wait for that last spear to land in him. He got out of that situation. I want to talk a moment for maybe some of you that are in situations, uh, maybe it's with a roommate or maybe it's a spouse, and it's abusive. Whether it's emotional abusive, spiritually abusive, financially abusive, whatever it is, God does not want you to stay in that situation where you're just experiencing abuse. He doesn't want you to stay in that situation where literally you're experiencing pain and suffering. He wants to rescue you from that. Now I know God hates divorce, and I know all those things, but God also hates abuse. So if you're in a situation where you're being abused right now and that person is toxic, they're lying to you, they're saying one thing and they're doing another thing, get out of that situation. Set a boundary. Tell them to leave or you find a place to stay. Or maybe for some of you, you need to actually call the police and tell them to remove that person because they're violent and they're abusive. There's nothing more loving than doing that so that you can love them from afar because it's difficult. Get out of the strike zone. Get out of that strike zone because that's not what God's calling you to carry. And maybe you're wondering, well, Nathan, what about forgiveness? Like, aren't I supposed to forgive them? Well, this is the third skill we see. You have to forgive, but don't forget. Forgive and don't forget. Maybe some of you have heard that thing in church. Well, you know, doesn't, aren't we supposed to forgive and forget? Like, God forgives and forgets. Like, aren't I and forget? Isn't that how, how this works? Well, I actually think this is probably one of the most toxic uh, twisting of scripture that comes out of the church world. It comes out of this verse in Isaiah that says this. It says, I will forgive their wickedness. This I, by the way, is God. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So I want to say a couple things about this. First, it's a metaphor. God is omniscient, okay? One of his attributes is he is all-knowing. So God does know all of our sin. The difference is when we come to Christ, he chooses not to hold our sin against us. He treats us as if we've never sinned, that we've never done the things that we've done. Like, that's what that means. And second, this isn't what God wants you and I to do when people hurt us. Yes, we are called to forgive, but we're not called to trust right away. Yes, we're called to forgive, but reconciliation may not be something that happens. You know, the example that, that I, I, I've used this before, but uh, it's the idea of, imagine someone comes, to, comes over and says, uh, you know, hey, Michael, can I borrow your car? I, I just want to, you know, just go to a party. Is that, is that cool? Can I borrow your car? Michael says, yes, I can borrow his car. So, so you know, I'm borrowing Michael's car, and I go to this party, I go to this party, and man, I just get lit. Like, I, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm drinking and all that stuff. I'm like, hi, and I drive, and I end up wrapping his car around a telephone pole, but I'm okay. And so I'm like, Michael, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? that's exactly what would happen. 
But Michael would forgive me because Michael loves Jesus and he's going to forgive me. And, you know, he's, you know, you know, he's going to, he's like, you know, insurance is going to handle this. It's going to be okay. But if I come back a week later and I say, hey, Michael, thanks for forgiving me. Can I borrow your car to go to a party? No, that's right. That, good answer. Good answer. He's not going to do that. And here's why. Michael forgave me, but it doesn't mean he trusts me. You need to forgive because God calls us to forgive, but forgiveness is not the same as trust. Trust is gained in inches and it's lost in yards. Trust takes time to rebuild. It means I'm I'm looking and seeing, is there a track record there of faithfulness, of, of real change and transformation? If that's not there, then we don't give people trust who've broken our trust. Forgive, yes, but we forgive from afar. We set a boundary, we make some space. Or what about reconciliation? Well, the Bible says reconciliation isn't about one person, it's about two people. So you may be ready to reconcile, but that person may not be healthy. They may be toxic. And so reconciliation may not be something that happens right away or ever. But it's something that we have to trust God with in the midst of that. See, I said this last week, but at the end of the day, I am responsible for my response. You're responsible for how you respond to the situation. You're not responsible for how the other person handles it or what the other person does. You have to own your part in this. That's all you can do. Which brings us to the fourth and kind of final skill that David shows us. That's to trust the sovereignty of God. You know, uh, as we kind of move further down this story, there's an interesting situation that happens. So, you know, David flees, right? Saul gets his spear out and he goes on the road and goes after him. He's going after David. He's hunting him down. He's going to try to find him and, you know, he's going to spear him like a hog or something like that. So as his hunt is going on, uh, Saul has to do a pit stop. Here's what it says here in chapter 24. It says this, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Guys, here's why I love the Bible. The Bible keeps it real, right? You know, Paul, I mean, not Paul, Saul, he's got to go to the bathroom, okay? Some translations say that he had to cover his feet, meaning, you know, he had that robe, and so he had to you know, kind of squat down and cover his feet, you know? So that's the kind of relief that Saul was doing in that moment, right? Keeping it real. Love the Bible. In this moment, I mean, imagine, like, super vulnerable, super open. David and his boys are in the back. So David and his buddies, they're, they're, they're kind of running together, and they see that Saul is right there. And David's friends, as any good friends should, this is what they say. They say this, now's your opportunity. David's been whispered to him, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. They're like, David, this could be the end. At this point, they've been running for years. David, you could end us being fugitives. Like, the people want you to be king. All you have to do is take the spear and run him through and game over. Like, we are back in the palace. We're living in the easy street. The people are excited. Besides, David, you are the king. You were anointed. You got anointed by God. Saul's been rejected. God is with you. And so at this point, David's boys are like, all right, here we go, here we go. So David, here's what it says. It says, David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Wait, 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 wait a minute, David. Shouldn't this say that David crept forward and then, you know, killed Saul and stabbed him and cut off his head? Should, wouldn't that be a better translation? That's not what happened. In fact, he comes close and he cuts off a piece of his robe. And David's friends are like, bro, what is going on? You could have ended it all. And then David's kind of feeling bad about cutting off a piece of his clothing. 
So he has a confrontation with Saul. Again, it's a confrontation from afar. He sets a boundary. But further down, it says this. It says, the Lord placed you, talking to Saul, at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one, meaning that God chose him. May the Lord judge between the two of us. You know the next slide here, guys. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. So David here made a choice. He said, you know what? It's not up to me to decide who's going to be king. May the Lord judge between us. David has eventually said this, I'm going to trust in God's sovereignty. You know what sovereignty means? It means that God's purposes and plans are going to come about. Because sometimes I don't know what's best, but you know who does know? God knows. So I'm going to trust that, God, you got this. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to take ownership. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to get out of the strike zone. I'm going to forgive, but I'm going to be cautious. I'm not going to forget. But I'm going to trust, God, that you are the one that's in control of this. And I simply need to take my spear and place it at the feet of Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. So can I ask, when you think about those toxic people, maybe the people that you put on your sandpaper last week, have you trusted them to God? Or have you picked up the spear and taken it in your own hands? Have you made this decision to say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you with the toxic people in my life. I'm going to trust you that you're going to give me the courage and the support that I need to do what's best. So, God, I'm going to, I'm going to take my spear and I'm going to put it down. But there's also a bigger question I want to ask. For some of you in here, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. And so this whole idea of not retaliating, uh, and all, it doesn't make sense. Because ultimately, you haven't put your full trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because none of this we can we do on our own power. We can only do this when we've submitted our lives to Jesus, given our heart to him, and received his Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the power to forgive. He gives us the ability to lay down our spears, to lay down our weapons, to lay down our words so that we can trust in him. And so if you're here today and or you're watching online and you've never done that before, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. A prayer of surrender. So if you could all do this with me, if you just bow your heads with me, I want to invite those who don't know Christ to take a step of faith. Maybe for some of you, this has been something that you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of on the fence, but I want to give you an opportunity to do this. So I want to invite all of us just to repeat these words after me, that way no one feels left out. Lord Jesus, confess I'm a sinner. My sin is toxic and I need you to remove it. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, for forgiving my sins, for rising from the dead and giving me eternal life. To be part of your mission on this world, to serve you. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a slide up here that tells you what your next step is. Text, start my journey, one word, 
the 97,000, we'd love to help you start taking your next steps of how do you grow in your faith? How do you grow in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? But I also want to talk to another group of you. And maybe for you, you're struggling dropping your spear because those toxic people, they keep showing up. And even when you decide, all right, I'm, I'm going to respond the way God wants me to, they say something, right? You know what I'm talking about. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and your spear goes back up. And you're like, let's go, let's rumble. Well, I want to let you know that our prayer team is here, and they would love to pray for you. And as this next song goes, I want to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come up. They'll be up here, and they would love to pray for you. If there's someone specific in your life that you need wisdom and how to handle them, or maybe you're just, you don't know what to do anymore. Maybe you're just holding the spear and you're not, you're not throwing it yet, but you haven't dropped it yet. I want to encourage you, don't leave here carrying that burden. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. A couple of us will be up here up front during this next song and towards the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you to help you take your burden and leave it at the foot of the cross. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.